What a joy to be able to sing those songs together this morning. Well, in anticipation for Sunday, when we will celebrate Christ's resurrection, today is a day that we set aside to reflect on his death, and that's what we want to do this morning. We want to pause, or this afternoon, we want to pause and consider again and in earnest Christ and his sacrificial death for us on the cross. I know you've heard of Martin Lloyd-Jones. It was he, uh, a pastor in London in the 20th century. He said this, You will never know God except by Jesus Christ, and in particular by his death on the cross. And so he says, look there. Gaze. Meditate and survey the wondrous cross. And that's why we gather for these few minutes this afternoon, to gaze on Christ afresh, to look and to survey his wondrous cross. I know for the last five years, uh, to help with that goal, we've uh, taken the seven statements that Christ makes from the cross and have taken one each of the last five years. Today we land on the sixth, where Christ cried out, it is finished. It's just one word in the original Greek language, tetelestai, but one that conveys, in the words of Charles Spurgeon, an ocean of meaning in a mere drop. He goes on to say of this word, even though it's one word, he acknowledges that, but he goes on to say this one word is altogether immeasurable. It is high, I cannot attain it. It is deep, I cannot fathom it. In a similar way, another pastor from that era, another Charles, Charles Simeon, adds this, every word indeed that proceeded from our Savior's lips deserves the most attentive consideration, but to Tetelestai eclipses them all. Even if an overstatement here from our two Charles, this, this phrase, this word is worthy of our deep contemplation this afternoon. As Jesus cried out, we're told from other gospels, he cried out in a loud voice, Tetelestai, it is finished. Let's read together, if you have your text this morning, let's read from the account in John where this phrase occurs. I think this will help us to get a better sense, to understand the context. So John chapter 19, and I'll begin at the end of verse 16. The word says, So they took Jesus, and he went out, bearing his own cross, to the place called the place of a skull, which in Aramaic is Golgotha. There they crucified him. And with him two others, one on either side, and Jesus between them. Pilate also wrote an inscription and put it on the cross. It read, Jesus of Nazareth, King of the Jews. Many of the Jews read this inscription, for the place where Jesus was crucified was near the city, And it was written in Aramaic, in Latin, and in Greek. So the chief priests of the Jews said to Pilate, Do not write the king of the Jews, but rather this man said, I am king of the Jews. Pilate answered, What I have written, I have written. When the soldiers had crucified Jesus, they took his garments and divided them into four parts, one part for each soldier, also his tunic. But the tunic was seamless, woven in one piece from top to bottom, So they said to one another, Let us not tear it, but cast lots for it, to see whose it shall be. This was to fulfill the scripture which says, They divided my garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. 
So the soldiers did these things. But standing by the cross of Jesus were his mother and his mother's sister, Mary the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, he said to his mother, Woman, behold your son. Then he said to the disciple, Behold your mother. And from that hour the disciple took her to his own home. After this, Jesus, knowing that all was now finished, said to fulfill the scripture, I thirst. A jar full of sour wine stood there, so they put a sponge full of the sour wine on a hyssop branch and held it to his mouth. When Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, it is finished. And he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. A powerful scene. A scene that altered radically in every sense the course of history. I think we would agree with that. And altered radically our own lives as we sit here this morning. In our time this afternoon, we'll limit our thoughts to this one three-word phrase in English from verse 30. I think when we hear the word finished, as it's translated in, in many of our English versions, we really only get part of the meaning of this term. It's also translated in other versions as it is accomplished or it is completed as the word denotes the carrying out of a task. It indicates a a finality or a consummation. It's finished. We might say today in our own vernacular, mission accomplished, and that may get closer to the idea here. A task has been fulfilled. It's been completed. And so from the lips of Jesus, from the cross, there was a wearied triumph in this utterance. While the scene at the crucifixion was was beyond intense, if we would take the time to read from the accounts of Matthew and Mark and Luke, we see the the intensity of this scene. Both the physical and, and spiritual struggle was something that really only God could comprehend. In the words of Leon Morris, he said, Jesus died with the cry of a victor on his lips. As you just scan or or read verses 29 and 30, Jesus here gathers what, what little strength he had remaining. He receives the sour wine, it said, that was held to his mouth perhaps to allow him this this one more word, and then he cries in a loud voice, as the other Gospels say, it is finished. As you hear those words, or as you, you read them and you ponder their significance, the question that may immediately or, or most likely come to mind is, what is finished, right? What is it in this phrase? Spurgeon cleverly and, and rightly says it is the biggest it that ever was. Well, with this phrase, beyond merely announcing the end of his life, beyond merely announcing the end of physical suffering, although that surely is included here, and beyond announcing the end of his spiritual separation from the Father, although that is very likely a part of what Christ is saying, I'd like to suggest in just a few moments here from this account three significant achievements or three significant fulfillments that Christ refers to when he cries, it is finished. 
we'll spend just a few minutes on each of these three. First of all, as Jesus utters this cry, he refers to his fulfillment of the Old Testament scriptures. When he exclaimed, it is finished, he meant, or he means in part, he has now fulfilled the written word concerning himself. It's completed, he says. The many prophecies that have been foretold about me in the Old Testament are now accomplished at this moment. We could spend our time looking at several examples throughout the Gospels, but even here in chapter 19, where John's burden is to show that Scripture was being fulfilled right in their very midst. This was the case throughout his Gospel, but even more so, the closer we get to the cross, we see this to be true. We can't look at them now, but but in chapter 19, verse 24, And in verse 36 and verse 37, these things were said or these things were done, he says, to fulfill the Scripture. Even in this immediate paragraph that we look at this morning of Christ's statement, we see stacked up very intentionally by John in verses 28 through 30, a form of this word to telestai or finished or fulfilled. He uses it three times just in this short little paragraph. John's seeking our attention on this with this repeated use. Notice what he says in verse 30. When Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, it is finished. When Jesus had received the sour wine, it is finished. Why does Jesus wait until he received the wine to utter this this word of completion? Because he knew he was fulfilling the scripture. Undoubtedly, Jesus really was thirsty at this point. This was not merely a a mechanical statement that he makes from from the cross. Unbearable thirst was well known as part of the torture of hanging on the cross, as as for hours victims would gasp and strain for air. But look up at verse 28. After this, Jesus, knowing that all was finished, said, to fulfill the scripture, I thirst. Jesus knew it had been prophesied in the Old Testament that at this point he would thirst and that he'd be given sour wine or vinegar for that thirst. While there's debate as to just which Old Testament text John is specifically pointing to here, there's several possibilities. But one of the Messianic Psalms, Psalm 69, predicts, quote, for my thirst... They gave me sour wine to drink centuries before this had been written. Jesus was fully aware of this prediction. He knew the scriptures well. It's probably an understatement. In fact, one New Testament scholar reminds us that his working knowledge of the Old Testament scriptures was encyclopedic. In that same light, D.A. Carson states, Jesus' mind is so steeped in scripture that he understands the relevance of these Davidic texts to speak to himself. We're well aware that even Jesus himself often said that the scriptures were written about him. That's why he says to the two on the road to Emmaus, Oh, foolish ones, these are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. These are the words of Jesus. 
He told his disciples on, on more than one occasion. The words that we find recorded in Luke, he says, we are going up to Jerusalem and everything that is written about the Son of Man by the prophets will be accomplished. He says, we're heading to Jerusalem. I'm heading there to die and everything foretold about me will be accomplished. It was at this moment on the cross that Christ accomplished what had been written. It was here that he fulfilled prophecies made hundreds and in some cases thousands of years prior. Can we take that to heart this morning? That, that ours is not a groundless or baseless faith? This event was not contrived in, in a mirage overnight or in a dream, but an eternal plan led to this point. And so from the cross, Jesus cries, it is finished. I have fulfilled what God's word foretold that I would fulfill. Jesus fulfilled the written word. A second achievement this morning that Jesus refers to is the completion of his Father's mission. God sent. We know that God sent His Son into the world. This truth is almost impossible to miss as you read through the Gospels and especially the Gospel of John. Jesus, it's Jesus Himself that often reminds us and describes Himself as one who was sent from the Father. This is what led Him to, in obedience, leave the glories of heaven, to take on flesh, subjecting Himself to what we just read about in the crucifixion. Jesus tells us in John chapter 6, I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but to do the will of him who sent me. Jesus said in John 12, I have not spoken on my own authority, but from the Father who sent me. In fact, Jesus says in John chapter 4, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. And this is what Jesus did. He completed the work that the Father had sent him to complete. And now as he hangs in humiliation, he could say, I've done it. I've completed the task. It's according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of the Father that Christ comes to seek and to save the lost. It was according to the the Father's plan. He came to lay down his life as a ransom for for many. He came and was obedient to the point of death. We're told even death on a cross. This was the Father's plan. It was the will of the Lord to crush the Son, the prophet Isaiah tells us. And so Jesus had set his face towards Jerusalem to offer his life in obedience to the Father's mission for him. Listen to this. This is why on the night that he was betrayed, in anticipation of his execution that was going to take place just within hours, Jesus could say this in John 17, Father, I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. It is finished. Father, I've, I've completed your will. 
Jesus completed the Father's mission. This leads us to one final consideration, a final achievement that that is presented by this cry of Jesus. And that is Jesus secured his people's redemption. Jesus secured his people's redemptions, and so he can cry, it is finished. At this moment, everything necessary for mankind to be made right before God was accomplished. Sin was atoned. Punishment absorbed and and wrath averted. All because of Christ's work. Nothing more to accomplish. And so Jesus says, it is finished. In this scene, the good shepherd makes good on his word. His was not just a a clever metaphor that he comes up with in in John 10 about, about humble sacrifice. No, Jesus did lay down his life for the sheep. His life for ours. And in this very moment, took upon himself all our guilt. Took upon himself all of our shame. Absorbed in his broken and bruised body the full punishment that we deserve. This is what he did. Christ redeemed us from the curse by becoming a curse for us. From this moment, as he was wounded, we're told, for our transgressions, as he was crushed for our iniquities, as the Son of God poured out his soul to death for sinners, he secured complete and total forgiveness for those who would turn to him and trust in this Savior. Jesus accomplished on the cross, we know this, he accomplished on the cross what we could never do. Granting to us eternal peace with our good and gracious Heavenly Father forever. This is yours. So that now for all those who would recognize their great need for this Christ, who puts away sin by becoming sin for them. This is what he told us he would do. And this is what he did. In the words of John Owen, he says, If he fulfilled not justice, I must indeed. If he underwent not wrath, I must to eternity. As we are drawn to this crucifixion event, we can see that he did undergo wrath. For those who are looking to this Christ and and trusting in his finished work this afternoon, Consider even now in your hearts and in your minds this stunning truth that you now stand guiltless before God. You now stand clothed and robed in the righteousness of Jesus. Payment for your great sin has been paid, all of it. It was interesting in, in studying this word to telestai. There's evidence that, that to telestai was, was often stamped on purchases or written on receipts in the ancient Greek marketplace because it meant debt paid or paid in full. That was one of the, the usage, usages. And this is what Christ has done. 
for those looking to this one, we no longer need to strive. In fact, we, we rest. We rest and we rejoice in the Savior. Can we not rejoice together this afternoon for what he has done for us? Our redemption has been secured by a merciful Savior. So that now instead of God being against us in his wrath, he is now for us in his Son. If you're here this afternoon and, and maybe apart from the knowledge of Christ, apart from knowing him and his finished work for sinners, if that's you, consider this, this perfect one invites you to come to him. All who are weary, he says, and are heavy laden, and he will provide rest. He has secured redemption by his bloody death. Come to him in faith, believing that his work is enough. So I think we see in this, in this simple, single word that Christ has fulfilled the scriptures. Christ has completed the Father's mission. And finally, he has secured our redemption. Listen and worship as I close with one stanza from an ancient hymn that points us to this risen Savior. It says, O Christ, what burdens bowed thy head? Our load was laid on thee. Thou stoodest in the sinner's stead, didst bear all ill for me. A victim led, thy blood was shed. Now there's no load for me. May God grant us the grace to forever rest in the finished work of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ.